Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now, Lord. And we thank you for that time of worship, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that you do consume us from the inside out, Lord God, that we, we would let that happen, Lord Jesus, that we would not stand in the way of you consuming us, Lord God. Make that our prayer, Lord God, that, that we would allow you to consume us, Lord God. So many times we block you, Lord. And I ask, Lord God, that you would, that that would be New Hope's prayer, Lord God, that you would consume us from the inside out, Lord, that you would quicken us and move in us, Lord. Lord God, we ask, Lord, as we come before you right now, that you would just uh, bless the preaching of your word, Lord God, that it would be your words, Lord God, not words of man. They will be words of Almighty God, Lord Jesus. Lord God, I pray that you would open our ears, Lord God, and soften our hearts, Lord, to receive what you have prepared, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, and we praise your name. It's your name we pray. Amen. Good evening. Uh, bear with me tonight. This winter weather's got a little dry. My throat's a little dry, but um, I don't know if I have a title for tonight's message. But uh, I would say that in in this message, that um, being content is one of the enemy's best tools. Okay, when we're content, uh, when things are easy uh, and prosperity, even um, in America, it's we live in a very prosperous country, um, and in in that prosperity, it's easier it's easy for us to become comfortable um, and content in that. So, uh, we're going to lo- look at the life of uh, King Solomon tonight. So, if you would please turn to King First uh, Kings, chapter three, and we're going to read through the whole chapter. <clears throat> Starting with verse 1, it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incenses at the high places. Now, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And so Solomon is is given the opportunity. God says, 
ask and it'll be given to you. What do you want? And, and he asks for wisdom and understanding. He asks to be able to judge God's chosen people. And that, that shows um, great awareness by Solomon because he knows what he lacks. He lacks wisdom and understanding. He says, I'm but a child. And these are your people and your great people. And I also think it's interesting to note that he knew why his father was successful. And as we look at the life of King Solomon, I, I do want to go back to that because he knew what made his father great. He knew, uh, if we look at... Um, Verse 6, and Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. He knew why his father was successful, why his father was set in the position that he was set in. Solomon knew that. I don't want to say he knew the keys to success or there was a specific formula, but he knew why his father had great success and why his father was placed in the position of power that he was placed in. It wasn't a secret to him. So Solomon, showing great awareness, asked God to give him wisdom. In verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Imagine, parents, imagine your children. If you you went to them and said, "Um, kids, I will give you one thing. As your parent, I, I will bestow one thing upon you. And if your kids responded with, you know, Dad, I want wisdom. If my kids responded to me with that, I would, I would fall over in amazement because that is, that's a wonderful thing. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked, um, you know, for dominion over every nation of the earth. He could have asked for more power. And this is a king. And, you know, a lot of times when people get power, they crave more power. And... He asks for wisdom to make sound judgment. Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that you, uh, there has not been anyone like you, bef- uh, like you before you, nor shall any arise after you. And I also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall be, uh, there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So God says, you know what? I'm going to give you wisdom and understanding. I'm going to give you an understanding heart, but I'm also going to bless you with the things that you didn't ask for because of what you did ask for. I'm going to give you the riches, and I'm going to give you um, the things that you didn't ask for from me. So if you walk in my ways, and, and this again goes back to the, the, the covenant that, that God made with David. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered, burnt, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made fe- uh, feasts for all of his servants. Now we, as we move forward, we get to see 
Solomon's wisdom in action. So God gives him this wisdom and an understanding heart, and we actually get to see it play out. Verse 16. Now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day, after I had given birth, that this woman also gave birth. And we were together, no one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, but, I, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Now, given the nature of my job, I deal with this every day. Every day. Uh, some point in time during my day, either a teacher's going to send me a kid or a kid's going to come to me and they're going to tell me that something happened. And I never get a straight story. Ever. Okay? And it always happens that this, this person will say, uh, you know, one, one kid will say, I didn't do it, he did it. So we pull in the other kid, I didn't do it, he did it. And it, it's a very tough place to be in because it's hearsay. It's their word against you know, it's one word against the other. If you don't have a third witness, and if you notice at the beginning of the, the, the two ladies entering the, uh, the palace, they said, there was just the two of us in the house. So there's no one else there. There's no witnesses. And since there's no witnesses, it's their word against each other's word. And that's a hard place to be in. And I'm telling you, I'm there every day, and I can tell you from experience, it's hard to discern who's telling the truth and who's not. You have to find a way to figure it out. And so we get to see Solomon's wisdom here um, in the rest of the story because he finds a way to figure out which one's lying. And that's the hard thing to do. You know, um, third graders are pretty easy to tell because when they start lying, they, I mean, they give you every sign. The eyes go down, they won't look at you. I, but these are adults, okay? They know how to lie. And this is a big thing, and they've been trained. And so... Solomon has to figure out a way. How can I figure out who's telling the truth? And the king said, The one says, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, No, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him divide, uh, sorry, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. And so what the king did was, he knew that the real mother would not let the child die. And so the real mother you know what? Hey, you know, give, give the child to her. Let the child live. I don't want to see this child die. And so Solomon was able to use wisdom to figure out 
whose child it was. And because of the reaction of the women, he was able to figure it out. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill, kill him. She is the mother. And all of Israel heard of this judgment, uh, which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him and they administer, uh, to administer justice. And so as we progress forward in King Solomon's reign, so he's a, he's a very wise king. He had asked God for wisdom. God granted him wisdom, but also granted him great riches. And one of the things, when we started reading in chapter 3, there was no uh, appointed place uh, for the Spirit of God to dwell. There was no uh, appointed house of God. And so Solomon kind of makes it his um, duty to build a house for God, to house the covenant um, and, and a place for God to dwell. And so if you skip ahead to chapter 5, um, verse 3, and this is where uh, the contentment, you know, where, where uh, being content is one of the devil's uh, best tools. Um, verse 3. You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. And so David didn't build a house for the Lord because he was at war. He never had time to rest. And as we look at Solomon, it's almost that this time of rest ends up being his Achilles heel. It's the thing that, that actually hardens his heart towards God and kind of draws him away from God because he has this period of rest and he, he's not forced to rely on God. He's given riches. He's not um, fighting against uh, people in the north, uh, the east, the south, and the west. He's not, he doesn't have the foes and, and the, the battles that his his father David had. And see, David had those battles time and time and time again to constantly remind him to be dependent on God. Solomon didn't have that. Verse 4, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And so Solomon's saying, Hey, I have time to build a temple for God because we're not at war. And as we progress through um, First Kings, we kind of see that that time of peace ends up being kind of what draws Solomon away from God because he, he's not relying and depending on God like his father David did. In verse 5, And behold, I, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne, in your place he shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command that they cut down the cedars from, from Lebanon, and my servants will be your servants, and I will pay you wages to your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut the timbers uh, like the Sidonians. And so he sets up to, and proposes to build this house. And so as we're going through tonight, what I want, I want to look at the life of Solomon. And so he's given wisdom. He asks God for wisdom. Because from chapter 3 to chapter 11, a lot of things happen. And we go from King Solomon, who 
Sounds amazing. He asked, again, he asked God for wisdom. That's the, he had one thing to ask God for, and he asked him for wisdom and understanding. And as we progress through, in chapter 11, he's the reason that Israel is divided into um, the ten tribes in the north and the two in the south. And, and his sin is the reason why the kingdom is torn in two. And so I always look, you know, how do we get from chapter 3 to chapter 11? To where someone has such a heart, and he knows why his father was successful. He even, it says it in, in chapter 3. It was because his, his father had uh, this heart after God. And he, he knew that, and he understood that. But between chapter 3 and chapter 11, we see a huge shift. And so I want to look at chapter 11. And so you have King Solomon, again, he asks for wisdom and understanding. Chapter 5, he proposes to build a house for God. And so, you know, you start thinking about great people in the Bible, and Solomon is, he did amazing things. He built, he built the temple for God, the place where, where the Ark of the Covenant would rest, the mercy seat, the presence of Almighty God, the smoke filled that room, and, and it, was, it was so much so that the priest couldn't even go in. He did great and amazing things for God. But again, being content, and in his case, prosperity, because when you look through in, in chapter 6, when he starts building the temple, and then in chapter 7, when he starts building his palace, his palace took twice as long to build as the temple of Almighty God. So think about that. It... it, it it took twice as long. The stuff for himself took twice as long. So as, we, as you progress through, you start to see his, his motives begin to change. You know, he's, his life's not glorifying God. It starts to glorify himself. And when you read in chapter, uh, chapters 9 and 10, it's the wealth of Solomon. And it starts talking about all the gold that was just owed to him. And when you have so much wealth and we are pretty wealthy here in America, your dependence on God goes down. And that's what happened to Solomon. And so if we start in chapter 11, uh, verse 1, it says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women. That's it. We can stop right there. That's what drew him away. He didn't keep the statutes and the word of the Lord. God told him not to marry certain people, not to intermarry. And he did, and he disobeyed the word of the Lord. So King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. And from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them nor are they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And see, sometimes, you know, we're reading through, and I remember ministering to someone, and they said, the Bible's just, it's a book of rules. And it's just, it's just set up as, you know, it's this mean God that just wants to impose his rules on you. And, and I said, have you ever thought that, it's crazy, but have you ever thought that maybe God knows what's best for you, and that's why those rules are in place? And especially when you, when you start looking at, at uh, the Israelites and 
He's teaching them morals and giving them uh, a, a guidance and understanding in a world that had none. And God knew what would happen if they married foreign women. Their gods would pull them away, would pull their hearts away from serving him. And that's what happened to King Solomon. So this guy in chapter 3 who, who asked God for wisdom and understanding and is granted that and is granted great wealth is drawn away because he had everything. And he disobeyed the Lord. And the Lord said, don't intermarry. And he, he chose to do it anyways. And it was the love of those women that drew his heart away from God. Verse 3. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Now, I want to go back to chapter 5. When, when you looked at chapter 5, that time of rest. See, they were in a time of rest where there wasn't an adversary. There weren't enemies coming at him from every angle. And you know in your own life, when you feel like the enemy is, is pressing in, you feel like you're getting hit from every angle, it forces you to your knees. It forces you to rely on God. And it forces you to say, God, listen, I can't do this. You have to do this. I have to depend on you. Well, Solomon didn't have to depend on God. There weren't enemies on every angle trying to attack him. The people next door to him were sending him gold. He had all the wealth that you could ever imagine. At one point in time, there, uh, there was a crown that he got from another, con- another country, a neighboring country, that weighed 75 pounds. Imagine that. And if you look at chapter 9, when he, he makes his throne, again... His throne, the king's throne, they said there's none like it in all the land. It had six steps and 12 lions, all in gold and ivory. Okay? Who's it all about? It was all all about Solomon. Okay? And the, the riches and the wealth and the power all turned his heart cold. Verse 4, for it, was, uh, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went to Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chamosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord, God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And here's... Um, how I look at it in our lives. Solomon, he got comfortable. And he got comfortable leading Israel. He had all the wealth. 
and he allowed, it was, it's a slippery slope. He let some things in. And those things turned his heart away. And, and we, have, we have the ability to do that, church. We're not immune to this. We, we can end up just like Solomon, who is serving God and asking for wisdom in chapter 3, and dividing the, the country in chapter 11. We are not immune to that. Because we can allow little things here, little things there. And what those things do is they, they pull us away from God. They become idols. And we start serving them instead of serving God. And everything that we dedicate ourselves to is a, that much less that we can dedicate to God. Does that make sense? So when we dedicate ourselves, to, and it could be something small. You know, and with Solomon, I don't know, it could have started out with one wife, and then two, and then three, and then he has 700 and 300 concubines. And each one of them has a need for their God, and he starts offering incenses, incense and, and worshiping their gods. And just a little bit of worshiping one at a time takes him away from his God, the God, the God of Israel, the God that delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. And I can't stress this enough to myself. I'm not immune to this. I am not. We are not immune, church. We have the ability to let things in that distract us from God. And I hate to even say it, but if you've found sometimes God gives us rest because we need rest. But if you're sitting there and you're going, oh, everything's perfect in my life, I would be concerned. Seriously, I would be concerned. And the reason why I would be concerned is in that rest, we don't depend upon God. Our dependence upon ourselves. <clears throat> we are not self-made people. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's, I just can't stress that we are not immune to this. So verse, uh, verse 10. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep the word of the Lord uh, that the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. How awesome is that? Even in the midst of um, God um, tearing the country apart and tearing the rule out of Solomon... He's faithful to David and the promises that he made to David. And for David's sake, he says, you know what? Because your father was faithful, and because your father had a heart after me, and he followed my statutes and my covenants, I'm not going to tear the kingdom from your hands, but I'm going to tear it from your son's hands. I want to tear it from your descendants. <clears throat> However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. And this goes back to um, the promise that God made to David. Okay? So God, uh, in 
um, Samuel promises to David that he will establish his throne in Israel forever, making an everlasting kingdom. And he makes that promise. And God is not in the business of breaking promises. When you read this book, God doesn't break the promises. Even when the Israelites, even when the kings, even when the judges, even when the high priests, when they mess up and they break the statutes and the commandments, God's still faithful. And because he made the promise to David that he would, he would establish an everlasting kingdom, God says to Solomon, I'm not going to tear away the whole kingdom. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give you one tribe um, for your, uh, to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And so God says, listen, I'm going to give you two, two tribes, okay? I'm going to give you two tribes in the south, one for me because of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen, where my house is built, and one for your father, David, who I have promised uh, that I would establish an everlasting kingdom for him. Now, not part of my message, just a fun thought. Um, Jesus was born in the city of David in Bethlehem. That's part of that promise, okay? And so um, that everlasting kingdom is established on Jesus, who is the eternal king of uh, God's kingdom established on the lineage of David. God sees the bigger picture. He knows that he's got, a, he's got an end game. He knows where he's going. We can't see it in that time and place, but God knows where he's going and what he's doing. So, however, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have cho- chosen. <clears throat> now, the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. And I think... At that point, think about this. He had had rest until this point. He had not had an adversary. He had had rest. He was able to build the temple of God. He was able to build the wealth and the riches of the kingdom of Israel. And he had not had an adversary until this point in which the Lord was going to tear away the kingdom from him. At that point, that's where the adversary comes in. And so, to put this into our lives, if you would turn to Revelations chapter 3. In chapter 3 of 1 Kings, I believe Solomon had understanding of why his father, um, why God had been so faithful to his father. He understood that because he had spent time with his father, also spent time with God. But through the wealth and through the power of being king, he becomes, I would say, became lukewarm. He served other gods. His heart wasn't fully devoted to God. He was still put in power by God, king over Israel. But he was lukewarm. In Revelations chapter 3, verse, uh, I'm going to start with 15. It says, I know your works, that you are neither hot, uh, cold nor hot. And I could wish that you were cold or hot. So 
Bible says, I, I wish you were one or the other, hot or cold. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, I have need for nothing. And, and I think of Solomon at that point. Solomon had become rich. He had need of nothing. What he didn't realize is that he had become spiritually poor. Because he allowed those things to steal his attention from God. To steal his heart from God. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, I do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Again, church, we're not immune to this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. And you know, when we look at the, the refining fire, that gold, the heat is turned up so that the impurities come to the surface and then they can uh, filter those impurities out makes the gold pure. That's how our faith is, right? It has to be tested. Those trials and those, uh, those battles that we fight, it makes our, our faith pure. And so verse 18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be, uh, be revealed and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, church, where we are, Jesus says, if, if you knock, I'll open the door. If, if you want to come in and dine with me, I'll dine with you. We just have to take action. And I want to end with this. James, if you would turn to James chapter 1. You know, in Sunday school this morning, we were talking just about the various things that happen in our lives and how the enemy uses fear. And one of his tactics is fear. And um, we were talking about those trials that come in our lives and, and how uh, they hit us time after time and time again. And, and I made the statement, you know, I, I sometimes in life I feel like I get over one mountain and find myself at the bottom of another one. And, and through life, those, those trials have changed They've become different, and again, in Sunday school, I made the statement, you know, when I was younger, um, car problems would, would cripple me. Um, God has blessed us, and, and they're less crippling now, but other things cripple me. Um, other things uh, attack us and then cause us to become dependent upon God. And so, if we read in James, James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it joy. 
See, Solomon was blessed with rest. He didn't have the adversaries on all four sides attacking him. His father had to fight those battles. His father was, was taking the land and protecting the land which God had given them. Solomon didn't have that. Solomon was blessed with rest, and it was a blessing. But he lived in that rest. And because he lived in that rest, he wasn't dependent upon God. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's hard, especially when you're in the valley, to count it as joy. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And see, each trial that we go through gives us something new, okay? It gives us wisdom, understanding. It gives us patience. It gives us, it makes us more complete as Christians. It makes our faith complete, and we know how to handle it. And we can also minister to other people going through those problems uh, that we've been in similar places. Nobody likes being in the valley, and, and you know, the valleys change. Everyone in here has a different valley. It looks different uh, at different points in your life, at different stages in your life. You're gonna be in different valleys, But each of those valleys teaches us something new. Those trials teach us uh, how to respond and make our faith more complete. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to, to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Church, we can't become comfortable. We can't live in the rest. And you know, I love those times when God gives me rest from the various trials. Uh, because we need that rest. Um, but we can't live in that rest. And we can't allow the little things to draw us away from, from God. You know, t- today's the, um, the divisional finals in the NFL. We have a good response today. They changed the time of the games. The game started at 640. You could have made the football game tonight. Your God, right? You know, there are two really good football teams playing tonight. Um, even those little things, I'm not saying that football in and of itself is, is sin, but those things draw us away from God and, and can that just take little pieces of our heart. 